It's time to write a new story. This is Success Stories with Madison Piper. It's the place where women discuss how to make an impact. Here's your host, Madison Piper. Influencer coach Christina Galbato is a woman on a mission. She helps other women become their own boss and run their own businesses and take control of their futures. But after being a travel influencer for many years, she's learned firsthand that a profitable influencer business goes way beyond brand collaborations and pretty filtered photos. Now, she's created a program and community that takes people from an Instagram side hustler to a full-time influencer, landing brand deals left and right. But that's not all she does. She also has opened her own Instagram page to complete and total vulnerability, sharing her journey with sobriety and helping women beyond Instagram and into their personal lives. Today, we bring on Christina to talk about the ins and outs of social media, but also her experience with sobriety and how her vulnerability has changed the lives of women everywhere. Christina, thank you for joining us here on Success Stories. We are so happy to have you. Yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm super excited. Of course. Well, you know, there's a lot of things that I want to talk to you about. Yes. So I want to talk to you about, you know, your business. Um, you've created a multi-million dollar business. Um, I want to talk to you about your ability to build influence and how to leverage social media and everything. But one thing I really want to talk to you about is using the platform in your brand and the platform that you have to influence other people outside of a professional setting. So really getting real and vulnerable with your life. But before Mm -hmm. we go into that, let's just start from the beginning. So tell us a little bit about your business and how you got started. Yeah. So right now I kind of consider myself the founder of an online education business that helps women uh, specifically and mainly um, build profitable businesses online as influencers and bloggers. So that's kind of what I do now. I lead a team of 20, which is pretty crazy. We have multiple online courses and mastermind programs that are really designed to help women find success in that arena. Did not start that way. I'll give you the kind of cliff notes version since I know we have a lot to cover, but I started a travel blog back in 2016 when I was working at my corporate job. And when I started it, it was just a passion project. I had no clue that you could make money on Instagram as a blogger, anything like that. It was just something fun that I did after work. And I started to notice uh, that my audience was going pretty quickly and began kind of networking with other bloggers and realizing that not only could you make money from being a blogger or an influencer and working with brands, but it could be a full-time thing. So kind of pressed even harder from there, growing my audience even faster, reaching out to brands, networking, uh, kind of got my first invite on a press trip in 2017 to uh, with the Dominican Republic Tourism Board. And they were like, in two weeks, do you want to come on this seven day trip and, you know, promote our destination on your Instagram account? And that was kind of the moment where I was like, okay, I have to make a choice because my boss is not going to let me take off like a week, you know, when I have 10 vacation days in the year. So that was kind of the moment when I jumped off the proverbial cliff and went all into the influencer side of things over the next couple of years, worked with a ton of different brands from Mazda to Lululemon to other tourism boards, Ritz-Carlton, Four Seasons, um, and really built a name for myself in the travel creator community. And then around 2018, I started to notice that a lot of my audience were asking me questions less of like, how can I, or, you know, what are the the best things to do in Puerto Rico and more of how can I do what you do? How can I find freedom using social media? How can I work with brands, build my audience? So I really saw that as an opportunity to, um, create my first online course. 
Again, I feel like the theme of my story is just like messy action, (laughs) having no clue what I'm doing. I launched my first online course and I was like, link in bio, go buy it. Like I had no concept of like launching or webinars or anything like that. Um, But through that process, just discovered not only my passion for education and helping women get results, but also the fact that I was really good at it and I was able to present and teach information in a way that got results. So um, continued growing my online education business, created another course, created a mastermind program, have been building my team and kind of scaling my online courses uh, in terms of the amount of women we're able to reach now. And that kind of brings us to today, (laughs) fully in the online education space. You know, I love to travel still, but not quite of a a big part of my business anymore. I love that you bring that up because it's crazy how messy action can result in something so amazing. You know, a lot of people wait to have everything perfect before they take action, but the longer you wait, the longer you're waiting to actually reach something, some level of success and like just going for it in the beginning can result in something bigger than you ever imagined. Right. So you don't have to wait Mm -hmm. till it's perfect. Um, but with all of this traveling and everything, I don't, I've never been in like the travel blogger sphere, but I do know with Mm -hmm. traveling, there's a lot of restaurants and you want to experience certain things, you know, in whatever area that you're in. So was there like a certain level of um, alcohol, I'm just going to be transparent, that came with that? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, alcohol is definitely present on some press trips, but I would say for me, that was less of the issue and we can kind of get into this a little bit more. But for me, I've noticed that my biggest trigger is the actual travel process. So I'm really big into travel hacking and travel credit cards and like lounge access and all of that. So for me, it was being in an airport, being in a lounge, being in business class, those sorts of things have been very triggering to me. Once I actually reach the destination, it hasn't been so much of a problem. But yeah, that being said, with with certain press trips, it definitely is a forefront (laughs) centerpiece of press trips. Absolutely. Okay. So that has me wondering, so where in this process, because I know something that you speak a lot about now is sobriety, which I love. Mm -hmm. Like that's one of the reasons I really wanted to bring you on here. This podcast is all about women of impact. And like, Mm -hmm. you've got this great platform where you teach people how to leverage social media to build their business, build their brand. But recently you started using that platform to be really vulnerable and share people or share with people this personal journey that you've been on. So where in your career did you realize that alcohol might be a problem and that you wanted to try to get sober? What made you realize that? I want to know all the details. Tell us everything. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, this could be a long-winded sort of thing, but I, um, I have known for a while that I've had a problem with alcohol. You know, it's not something for most people that happens overnight. It's a very kind of like gradual uh, like the analogy I give is like a crab in a pot or something like that being like boiled to death, right? It just happens gradually. And so I've known for years that I would eventually have to get sober, um, probably since like 2016, but things weren't quite as bad in 2016. Like around that time when I had graduated from college and I was um, in the city starting my blog, I was definitely the type of drinker that didn't need to drink all the time. But when I did start drinking, I just never had an off button. And that was really always the case for me, um, but more so around that time. So then it kind of just escalated from there. Um, and around 2020 was when it kind of got to the point where not only could I not stop drinking when I started, but I couldn't go like a day or two days without drinking. So you can imagine how much of a 
issue that created for me. Uh, it was impacting everything in my life, my health, my relationships, uh, my ability to show up for work. Uh, I felt like, you know, I think for a while in, I'm still kind of like figuring out how to tell this story, you know, but I think for a while in high school, it was in high school and college, it was there for a purpose. It was there to numb sort of like a lot of these things that I was going through at the time and make me feel more confident and kind of, you know, bring down my nervous system a little bit, help me with my anxiety. But then in the last like few years of my drinking, I do think it kind of escalated into that like dependence sort of phase. Um, and so when I stopped drinking, it was 2021, February, 2021, and or no, April, 2021. And around that time I had gone to Mexico, kind of like planning this little trip for myself where I was going to escape and and not drink and just have like a lovely time with green juices on the beach and query quickly realized that you can't escape yourself. So I had brought myself to a hotel with room service, still having this brain that was just obsessed with alcohol and kind of faced my, uh, I don't want to say like the word addiction, but like kind of facing my, uh, dependence more, intensely than I had in the past. When I checked out from the hotel, the guy was like, Oh, we forgot to add on all these glasses of wine that you ordered. And that was kind of the moment. It was a spiritual moment. Honestly, it felt like that where I was looking what I had done to myself in the face and being alone in my apartment drinking, you know, there's so much that you can justify to yourself over time in terms of your behavior, but seeing that in front of me, um, that was the moment when I knew that I needed to get sober and I was sober for, from April to September. So I think that was about, I don't know how many months that is. Five, six months, something like that. Um, I was sober for a while before I told my audience about it. But the biggest reason that I did was because when I was going through everything that I was going through, I felt so alone. Like when you think of somebody that has an alcohol substance use disorder or something like that, or struggles with alcoholism, you think of the 50-year-old man under the bridge with like a brown paper bag. It was never discussed to me as a possibility in my family and people that I was growing up with that like some people just can't, you know, handle this. And so I felt really alone and I wanted other women who were going through this, especially after 2020. I think a lot of people looked at their drinking kind of more closely in 2020 to feel like there was someone that was their age, that was a woman, that was young, that was successful, that was kind of the opposite of what you think of you know, this type of, I don't want to use stigmatizing words again, but the opposite of what you think it, that it should look like. So I wanted to tell my audience because of that reason. And then also just because I had such a, like an internal dissonance going on with who I really was and everything that I was going through. Recovery is an insane process. It's beautiful, but it's, I was not ready for it. And so I felt kind of like, I was lying to my audience in a way and not being open about what I was going through and having this like smile on social media. But meanwhile, I'm like, yeah, internally <laughs> exploding. Um, so yeah, a few, a few reasons why I told them about it. So I feel like a lot of people use social media as like a guide to how they should be living their life when in mm -hmm. reality it's a highlight reel. Um, mm -hmm. And something that I love about how a lot of influencers like you um, how they've been using it recently is to be vulnerable, is to share the dark and scary and 
and, you know, less glamorous sides of their life because it makes them relatable and it makes it real. But that's also scary if you've been putting out this image for a long time, like, hey, look at me. I, you know, not like I'm perfect or anything, but this is my image. This is who I am. This is my life. And then you have to open up and you're like, actually, here's what you don't see. Right. So how did you find the courage to finally just say, you know what, this is enough. I need to share this today, right now and get it over with. Yeah. I was so, so scared. Um, I think when it comes to this issue in particular, I thought that people would judge me. I thought that all of my customers would be like, I don't want to learn from her. Like her credibility's out the window because she struggled with alcohol. Um, I really, yeah, I was terrified. I, I honestly, part of me thought that my career would end. Um, but the more people I talked to in the sobriety community who had also kind of come out with their stories just told me that there's no downside to it. If anything, people will admire your courage for speaking up about it, even if they can't relate. And the people that can relate will look to you as someone that they can kind of follow your footsteps in, right? And be like, it is okay on the other side of this. So I kind of talked to a lot of people in the sobriety community about it. And I really, at the end of the day, like led with my why, like the reason why I was going to be sharing about this, which was to help other people. And that pushed me through. And I have never in my life received so many incredible messages. I I kid you not, I had thousands of messages from people that like could relate, but then also couldn't relate. And we're just like, this is so cool. Thank you so much for sharing about this. No one talks about this, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it was, it was just, yeah, the most rewarding experience of my life. And at the time, actually, so my relationship had just ended, <laughs> um, long-term relationship. And so I felt like I had so much inside of me. I was like, my relationship ended. I've been sober for five months. So I kind of was just like this explosion of like, here's what's going on in my life. Things are not perfect by any means. Um, But it was really well received. And like still to this day, I talk to so many women that are like, you know, 30 plus days sober or like five days sober. And they reach out and they're like, hey, I'm really struggling tonight. And that is one of the biggest parts of recovery is helping other people through the experience that you went through. So it's helpful for me too, to have these conversations. You know, I feel like a lot of people have a really bad misconception on like the person who needs to experience sobriety or, or, you know, jump on like a sober journey. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people think of like alcoholism or something like that in the terms of like this person wakes up every day and pours booze in their coffee and they can't function. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I'm sure sharing your journey and being as successful as you are, you probably woke a lot of people up to their own behavior. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, there's such a gray area with alcohol. You know, um, I really like the criteria that the DSM five gives for alcohol use disorder, where you can kind of see like, okay, do I have a moderate problem or more severe problem? Um, and a lot of people I think don't realize how much a hold alcohol has on them because our society just completely normalizes it. Like, I remember when I was about to get sober, I was like, oh, well, you know, summer's coming up and I'm going to want rosé with my friends. And she was like, well, what are you going to say in the winter? And I was like, red wine inside in front of a fireplace, cozy in a blanket. And there's always an excuse to drink, like celebrate. You're sad. Uh, Something happened like this event. We drink constantly. And so I think people just normalize it in their head as like, it's a part of society. And it only takes maybe even trying 30 days sober to realize that like, maybe you don't have the healthiest relationship with alcohol. Maybe this 30 days is hard. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, my thing with 
a lot of people talk about like moderation and stuff like that. Um, and I think for some people, moderation definitely works, like just trying to be more cognizant of it. But for me, and I don't know for anyone listening, I think the sign that maybe moderation isn't going to work is if trying to moderate yourself is exhausting. For me, it was, it took so much brain power to have a sip of alcohol or a glass of alcohol and not obsess over the next one or not obsess over how much I'm drinking compared to the person next to me. It just gets like a little psychotic. And so, yeah, that was kind of the sign was like, I am no longer in control whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I feel like you mentioned earlier that high school, this started in high school, right? Mm -hmm. It's become so normalized and it's almost at a point now where like people in college, like whether you're in a sorority or fraternity or Mm -hmm. an athlete and there's athletic parties, like, or whatever the experience that you're having may be, it's almost like you're judged for not doing it. And that's where a lot of the dependency comes from. Um, what is some of the things that you, what are some of the things that you've noticed, um, in your life that have improved since giving up alcohol? (laughs) My entire life. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I, everything has changed. Um, I, I was looking back at my notes app. I remember in February, I was like really at a breaking point with alcohol and I just didn't understand why I couldn't stop. Cause my family had never talked to me about addiction. Like it just wasn't like a conversation and I didn't understand why my brain wouldn't like stop drinking. So fucking frustrating. Anyway, so I'd written in my notes app that I felt like I spent a lot of time painting my house without tending to what was inside of it and that I needed to focus on the inside of the house now is kind of what I wrote. And I don't think that I realized the extent to which I would have to do a a ton of inner work and how much my entire life I had neglected my inner world and not taken care of myself. And um, not broken these patterns that had led me to drinking in the first place. So everything has changed. Like, I mean, I wake up at like seven in the morning now. I would have never done that. I would have been hungover until noon. I actually work out every day now. I am able to enjoy my life. I think that's the other thing about this sort of a thing is that over time, as you become more dependent on the substance, nothing gives you dopamine or makes you happy anymore except that substance. And so everything in my life just brings me like simple joy, whether it's a walk or playing with my dog or cooking or anything like that. I've definitely lost weight um, physically. My skin is better. I have so much more mental clarity um, and just a lot more aware of my thoughts and my patterns and how I can start to like rewire my brain and rewrite my story about what I believe to be true about myself. I think that's been like the biggest thing. You know, when I was in college, um, that was like a big thing was like, you know, the drinking and the partying and like the, you know, the whole sorority fraternity. I mean, like we had a lot of fun, right? Mm -hmm. Um, After college, I realized that that wasn't really something that benefited my life. And for a few Mm -hmm. years, like you know, people kept up like, okay, it's the weekend now. Where are we going? What bar are we going to? What restaurant are we going to? We're going to spend X amount of dollars on, you know, martinis or whatever. Yeah. And it got to a point where I was finally like, okay, first of all, I'm spending a lot of money on something that I don't enjoy. That doesn't make me feel good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
that just isn't benefiting my life in a positive way. Yeah. So I I went into like moderation mode, right? Mm-hmm. Where like, you know, if there's a special occasion, I'll have a glass of wine or something like that. Um, but one of the comments I got the most from friends was, you've lost so much weight. How have you lost so much weight? What changes have you made? I'm like, I've made one change. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not dieting more. I'm not exercising a lot more. I mean, I was yep. exercising, but like it was really just the booze. It's so many calories mm-hmm. and you don't think about it, especially when you're like binge drinking and having fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so much money. So Imagine much money. the money that you can save when you're not buying a martini. That's $16 oh, yeah. at dinner. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can tell you if I pull up my little sobriety app how much money I've saved, I literally think it's almost $10,000. Oh, my gosh. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> but I also try to like be fancy and buy like $25 like dollar bottles of wine, you know? So mm-hmm. – you know, made it a little more expensive than like if I was drinking Vladimir vodka or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's see how much money I save. Let's get ready to be alarmed. I feel like this is going to be a really astounding number. I'm excited to hear it. It's going to be alarming. Hold on. <laughs> Find where this is. Here it is. Okay. I have saved $10,821 and I have avoided 134,000 calories. Wow. In 280 days of being sober. Wow. So not even a a full year. Not even a full year. Yeah. A lot of calories. Wow. Mm -hmm. How does that feel looking at that? Like insane. I I think that they, I'm so jealous of you, by the way, for being a take it or leave it drinker. Um, (laughs) I think that they, (laughs) like if I could just have one wish, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, I think the thing that like at the beginning, I just would read these forums of people being like, I'm two years sober. I'm six months sober. And I could not imagine that. I could not imagine being sober for three days, let alone three months or how far I am now, which is more than nine months. Um, so it's, it's absolutely insane. And it's just been a journey that like, I did not expect to go on. And one thing I do want to say too, for anyone listening that like is struggling with alcohol is one, uh, kind of myth that I had believed at the beginning of this was that it's just about not drinking and if you go into this with sheer willpower of like white knuckling, like I'm not going to drink tonight, I'm not drinking, I'm not drinking, you will exhaust your brain. And that's like not the key to long-term, well, this isn't even long-term sobriety, but it's not the key to sobriety. You have to do the work on yourself and create a life that you don't feel like you need to drink to numb out from or escape from. So that's what I didn't realize about this was like 90% of the work was going to be on other things, not just not drinking. It's been crazy. That's a really good piece of advice because the work is going to be, you know, it's not just on the one problem. There's got to be a lot of work that you're going to have to do in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. But one question I have for you is you've obviously shared what the biggest impacts have been for you Mm -hmm. um, and what's been most rewarding to you in your personal life and your physical life. But what's been most rewarding for you in regards to impacting the lives of other people? Have you gotten a piece of feedback that just sat with you and you're like, wow, me being so open and my willingness to be vulnerable Mm -hmm. did this. Yeah. I think it's that people see me as someone that they can open up to about their deepest vulnerabilities. There's a couple women that come to mind that they have my personal phone number and, you know, we talk every day and I'm like, how are you doing? And one girl is like 52 days sober. And the other one is like around 30 days. And I'm just able to 
see these changes that they're seeing that I saw mm-hmm. and it's because of me. Well, you know, not <laughs> they're doing it obviously, but because I was vulnerable and open about what I went through, these women feel empowered and supported and not alone to be able to face this head on. Um, and so I think that's just the biggest thing is that um, people are willing to be a little bit more open to me about things, even not even alcohol related things. I've had a lot of women come to me and message me about like mental health struggles that they've gone through or even like things that have happened in their family that have been really traumatic. And yeah, it's just really amazing to have an open conversation about this stuff because, you know, we don't talk about this stuff. Women don't mm-hmm. talk about alcohol struggles. Women don't talk about, especially in social media, we don't talk about a lot of this mental health stuff. And so, yeah, it's been really rewarding. And I'm sure that feedback gave you the fuel to keep going, right? Because Brene Brown talks um, mm-hmm. about something called the vulnerability hangover. When yeah. you open up <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're like, why did I do that? You're just overwhelmed yeah. with this anxiety and guilt. Is that something mm-hmm. that you ever experienced? Yeah, for sure. After I posted about my sobriety, I put my phone away for like a solid six hours and was like in the bath just like oh my God, what did I just do? (laughs) I'm like, this is really on the internet now? Okay. Yeah. You definitely have a little bit of a feeling of like, holy crap, what did I just do? Is everything going to blow up? Mm -hmm. And you physically get drained after that kind of thing. Um, Absolutely. Is this something that's changed your business? Do you think? Do you think it's helped your business grow? How has it impacted, you know, your professional brand? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because a lot of people ask me this. It, I actually don't know... I think that I could have grown my business and been more present in my business had I not been going through this. But because of the way that my business is structured, which relies a lot on paid traffic, which doesn't require me to be there, um, it hasn't impacted like the revenue side of things too much. It has definitely impacted, you know, my ability to show up for calls or podcast recordings or show up in general or get projects done on time or, you know, efficiently and things like that. Um, in terms of the revenue side, it hasn't really impacted too much. Uh, but I definitely notice for sure, you know, more clarity and presence with the work that I'm doing and more of an ability to like focus on something (laughs) and be excited about something. Um, but it's funny because I, I think I mentioned this on the sober girls guide podcast that I am, grateful in a way to this experience because I know that a lot of the personality traits that drove me to have a problem and a dependence on alcohol were also the things that have made me a really good business person in terms of risk-taking and all these other characteristics. So it is what it is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Acceptance is the name of the game. Acceptance is the name of the game. Write that down. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to write that down. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> um, okay. So I just want to thank you, first of all, for sharing all of that with us of because I know that, you know, it's always a little bit like tasking to be so open and vulnerable with such personal things in your life. But um, I, I know that you probably reached a lot of people on this podcast, whether that's you got yeah, them thinking you. or they related to you mm-hmm. in your journey. Um, yeah. So thank you. But I want to jump on to social media and building a brand and creating a name for yourself online. Shift my mind real fast. (laughs) Yes. So let's shift. Um, We're going to take a quick break really quick. And when we come back, we're going to jump into how to leverage social media to build your brand. All right. We are back. And Christina, I want to talk to you a little bit about leveraging social media to build your brand. Now, a lot of like influencers have already mastered this, right? But what about the person who is just getting started 
on social media? What are the first steps that they should take to start to create a name for themselves or their brand? Yeah. So, okay. There's a lot here, but we will start pretty high level. (laughs) I think, I think the most important thing is at first, like the thing that everybody talks about, but that I see so many people still make the mistake of, and something that impedes success is kind of finding your specific niche and area of genius. So not just that, you know, you want to be a travel blogger or you're a business coach or you're a social media expert, but what is your specific kind of differentiator within that niche? So what is the unique perspective that you bring to travel? What is the unique perspective you bring to your social media coaching or something like that? So figuring that kind of overall niche out and then making sure that in your content, everything is very aligned within that niche. So what I typically like to run my students through is kind of like a little flow chart of like, what is your overall niche? And then dividing like three to five different content pillars from there. And so those could be things like destination tips. It could be travel hacking. It could be, I don't know what the other four could be, but smaller like subsets of things that you're going to talk about under your overall niche and then base your content on that. So every single piece of content that you put out, typically I recommend people cycle through like, okay, today is content pillar one, tomorrow's two, three, four, five. Um, and making sure that your content aligns with each of those content pillars. So that way, when people come to your page, they see very clearly what your page is about. The biggest mistake I see in social media growth is that people just post whatever they feel like posting. And it ends up being just like a mess of a feed of a picture of a dog, a picture of, you know, a social media graphic, and then a travel picture, social media picture, whatever. Um, so you just want to make sure that every single piece of content that you put out there is very purposeful that it either adds value in some way, teaches people something, inspires people in some way, um, or, you know, storytells, like connects with your audience in terms of, you know, telling your story and building that connection with them. So that's Mm -hmm. the first piece is just making sure that your profile is very purposeful, that it adds value for influencers specifically. The biggest mistake that I see is making the content, what I call me, me, me content, right? Um, I think that this worked four or five years ago, just kind of talking about yourself and sharing what you're doing. But now in order to be successful in social media, you definitely always want to make sure that you're coming from a place of value. So what is someone getting out of this piece of content that I'm posting? Always thinking from that perspective and kind of removing the me, me, me from it. I think that's pretty much it. Is there a certain uh, direction you wanted me to go with this, like outside of content or... No, no, that's, I mean, those are really great points. Another question I have, like kind of jumping off that is platforms. There are so many different platforms you can use to build your brand. There's Mm -hmm. YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. right? Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you like discover which one is best for you? And Mm -hmm. should you try to use all of them? Should you try to share yourself across all of them? Or should you just pick one and stick Mm -hmm. with it? Hell no to to being on all of them. Oh my gosh. It's like a recipe for burnout, especially if you don't have a team. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to operate from the assumption that most people listening are solopreneurs, maybe have like one or two team members. Mm -hmm. Um, What I typically recommend is that you have three different places where your audience exists. So the first one is a social media platform. Second would be an evergreen platform. And third would be your email list. So email list is kind of self-explanatory. That is, I think, above and beyond anything else, it's the most important audience just because um, you're able to get direct access to your audience. It's not dependent on an algorithm. It's a list of email addresses that you own. Um, Second, going to evergreen. So evergreen content is anything that is discoverable for years and years. So not Instagram, something more like a blog or a podcast, 
even a YouTube channel, even that's technically considered social media. Um, but something where you're able to publish this podcast episode. And then years later, when someone's looking for sobriety tips, it'll pop up. So you definitely want an evergreen platform as like a really good long-term strategy to have. Um, so again, that's blog, podcast, YouTube channel. And then you, of course, want to have some sort of social media channel where you're able to reach your audience in real time and form those like kind of immediate uh, ongoing connections with your audience, which you're not able to get quite as much with a blog or a podcast, right? So that would be Instagram, TikTok. I don't even know if Facebook is used anymore as a social media platform. <laughs> so probably just like Instagram or TikTok. But those are the buckets that I typically recommend because I see a lot of people spread themselves so thin with like Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, podcast, all this stuff. And they are putting their energy into a million different places that nothing on the actual monetizing side ever gets done. Um, so my recommendation is to like focus in hardcore on just like one or two main platforms and build your business from there. So you mentioned me, me, me content content mm-hmm. all about you. But then there's yeah. also, I feel like on like the contrary side of that, people who are just trying to sell, 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 sell. That's all they want to do is sell a product, yeah. right? Yeah. What is your advice and how did you, like, how have you gone about, because you've done this like excellent, building a relationship with your followers so they trust mm-hmm. you, they know you, they feel like there's a relationship with like you, therefore mm-hmm. you're converting them to customers. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there is always a balance to whether you are a coach or, you know, an e-commerce business owner or something like that. You definitely always want to make sure that there is like an influencer type brand within your company. And that really just means that you are like building a personal brand with your and connection with your audience. So I think one of the easiest ways to do this, honestly, is just Instagram stories Um, you know, sometimes with Instagram captions, I'll post about my weekend or what I did, or what did you guys do and make sure that I'm like responding to comments, um, or like I'll start a personal conversation on another topic within my, within my captions. Uh, but stories, I think are the best place to start forming that, that relationship with your audience. So whether it's like walking your audience through what you're doing that day, or you're showing them behind the scenes of how your e-commerce product is made or you're even just sharing like your day and what you made for dinner. Like those are honestly some of my best performing stories is me cooking dinner, which is really bizarre. (laughs) Um, But just like sharing, you know, like bits of your life within there. So that's just kind of building your personal brand. And I think that Mm -hmm. you have to, no matter your business, you have to weave in that, that personal branding with selling, right. You Mm -hmm. can't just like do both of them. Mm -hmm. Well, then people feel like they're part of your life. Yeah. Exactly. Right? Exactly. When you're cooking dinner, you become a real person. Exactly. Exactly. You know? And sharing you're, about personal stuff too, mm-hmm. like we've been talking about, right? Yeah. Like sharing about those personal struggles because then you become relatable and like a human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. So what is the most constructive piece of feedback you've ever gotten regarding your social media presence? Mine? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um. Hmm. Okay, I think that this is something that we're doing a lot better this year. But for a while, so a lot of my business makes money through online courses and mm-hmm. you know webinars and free classes and stuff like that. So we rely, again, like I said before, we use a lot of paid advertising in my business and to drive new eyeballs to these webinars. And I was not using my organic social media to drive people there. So I think that was probably the biggest piece of feedback that I got from a strategist on my team was 
to not rely quite as much on paid advertising and to use, like to improve my organic strategy, I guess. I don't know if there's anything else that would be more. That's great advice though. I mean, you okay. know, you have to use both. Paid I don't know your audience, so. <laughs> no, no, that's great. Okay. I mean, a lot of our audience are like, you know, they're solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, yeah. people who are trying to start their own businesses, yeah. build, you know, a presence on social media. So that's really mm-hmm. great advice because I feel like a lot of yeah. people either jump into just organic and they, they don't know how to use paid traffic or yeah. they're just doing paid traffic. So yeah. there's a there's a happy medium there. There's a balance. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the lesson to kind of wrap that up is like never relying on one anything, one platform, mm-hmm. one, you know, revenue stream, one, I don't even know. Yeah. One method of paid advertising, like you always need to be mixing things up and kind of like hedging your risk a bit. Mm-hmm. And well, and you can't put all your eggs in one basket, right? I mean, that exactly. brings me back to Vine. We all remember Vine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And also knowing your boundaries too. Like I'm not on TikTok and I just, for some reason, can't connect with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay. Right. Like if you don't want to create reels because they just take everything out of you, like that's okay. Then you go master something else. Um, so just kind of listening into like what feels best for you. Yeah. Well, that's great advice. Christina, thank you so much for joining us here today and sharing your story, um, talking about your, you know, journey to sobriety and also giving us tips on building your brand and building a presence on social media. Um, there's so much that people can learn from you. You are really a woman of impact and I want our audience to know where they can find you, where they can follow you, where they can learn more. So where can do they do all of those things? Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, mm-hmm. I'm on Instagram at Christina Galbato. My website is christinagalbato.com. My podcast is relaunching hopefully in March. Um, so that will be Her Life by Design. And yeah, just for anybody listening that feels like they're struggling with their relationship with alcohol and they want support and connection, my DMs are always open. I will probably give you my personal phone number. So um, always open for anyone that, that needs help. Well, thank you, Christina. You're great. And we'll hopefully hear from you soon. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been Success Stories with Madison Piper. If you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe, drop a review, and tell your friends. If you'd like to hear more shows like this one, go to success.com slash podcasts.